Hey, my name is Andrew Thompson and this is my Footwear Fables. It's my belief that people love hearing great stories and that creativity is all about solving problems. So through my journey, I discovered I like solving problems and sharing familiar stories with other creatives. Often, conversations with designers and creative visionaries really help me add context to understanding change and also inspire and inform. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my first Footwear Fable, who is the founder of Fight. Tal Price, an all-round visionary in my eyes, and has led his brand through quality and sustainability since 2004. Tal Price began his career in footwear in the early 1990s at the age of 18. Fascinated by the rapidly evolving idea of globalisation, Tal founded a small streetwear label which eventually grew into a footwear company with global distribution. During the 10 years of running this company, Tal witnessed the shortcomings of mass production. That then led him to create Fight, founded in 2005, as an evolution of consumerism and production. Fight moves away from the volume and excess and towards quality, sustainability and pursuit of product integrity. Designed by Toll Price in New York, Fight products are built entirely by hand and from natural materials. Yeah, really. So I just wanted to ask you... Um... A little bit about your the the backstory behind the brand and the spirit of the brand and how you how you sort of derived with um, this fantastic uh, authentic inclusive brand that you've you've got today. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I started like my shoe world experience started with a company in the mid nineties called like Royal Elastics, which was in nineteen ninety six, and. Um, I was quite young and I had just the, the idea of that sneakers shouldn't have laces basically. And at that point in time, it was really only, at least to my knowledge, then it was like just that band slip on um, kind of, uh, you know, slip on shoe that was laceless and kind of sneakery, you know? And um, Later, I found there was some type of like a Nike Aquasoft they made in the 80s, but everything else had sneakers. So I was excited about the idea and I felt that a lot of sneakers, at least in the future, would not have laces and started that company and built it up. Actually, uh, you know, a lot of that early days of that was done actually in London in like 1997 and oh, the wow. spring and stuff like that. Yeah, you might remember that was like actually our first account um, <clears throat> in like Europe was like offspring and that was in 1997 and at that point I was you know always trying to make a great product you know but and at that point I was very focused on sneakers which was using all the same manufacturing techniques as what athletic shoe companies were using basically uh-huh. and we built that business over the course of about 10 years and as that business grew I started as the business grew from being more um, a creative project to becoming a serious business and things got more complicated on the financial side and on the management side and we could no longer finance the business ourselves and we had to take on business partners. And then as it kind of moved up the commercial chain, I guess, you know, from small angel investors to, you know, bigger kind of investors and then eventually – we sold a lot of the com- most of the company to an American public company called K Swiss. Yeah. Um, as the further we moved up the chain, and I, I started to see this 
real requirement to sustain this business on just this continued increase of volume, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was just so much pressure, especially once we'd sold to a public company who had to report their earnings every quarter. There was so much pressure on just continuing to grow the number of pairs we sold. You know, we got up to almost a million pairs at the peak of the business, but this pressure to continue to grow, you know, kept coming down to, well, if you want to grow, you need to make it cheaper. And so therefore you need to find a way to make the same product, but cheaper. And then where did it come out of? It came out of generally the creative side, whether it's the design or the material. And so after as, as it progressed through the first, that decade of that business, especially the last half of the decade and the last few years in particular, just became more and more about real cost-cutting, real engineering to costs, and just general management and how can we save 50 cents here and how can we save a dollar there and so on and so forth. And it just, one, it took all of the reason I was in it initially, which was to try and make a great product that people would be excited about. It really started to road away at that creativity. Mm. The job became more about management. And not only that, I was like, well, I was also looking at the materials we were using. And as they got cheaper and cheaper, they got more and more nasty along the lines of, you know, they were more plastic-based, more oil, but, you know, more oil-based, more plastic-based, just basically synthetics. Whereas in the beginning... We were using, you know, leather, you yeah. know what I mean? And in yeah. the end, we were really using just plastic. And that started to become a concern to me because we were making about a million pairs of shoes yeah. out of this horrible material that I saw that could never get, was never being able to get destroyed. It was just getting dumped in landfill. If we were making a million pairs in one year, maybe 75,000 pairs, a thousand pairs don't get sold, <laughs> you know, then what do we do with those shoes? Yeah. They were piling up in the warehouse. They were piling up in the warehouse. And I was like, if if this is how our business looks and we're a small player, you know, what is what is the bigger companies doing for the planet? You know, and wow. where is all this stuff gonna go? You know, and so that's when my mind started to take me to this idea of fight. And so I thought well, with this next business, um, how can I create a business which allows me to spend my time doing what I'm passionate about, which is trying to make a great product yeah. um, from good quality material, you know, that I can feel proud of with depth and integrity from good quality materials. And can I kind of re-engineer the model a little to allow me to do that? Um, and how would I do that? And so I started looking, learning about say more traditional shoemaking, handmade shoes, men's shoes, women's shoes, that type of thing. So went from spending time in Korea and China to then spending a lot of time in um a little bit of time time in England, time in England, time in um Portugal, time in and a lot of time in Italy, you know, and learning more about the manufacturing of what I would call in inverted commas, like proper footwear. That's amazing. And um That's amazing. Through, through that process yeah through that process i started to understand more really how much of what product design looked like this 10 10 years ago 15 years ago how much of what product design looked like especially within the athletic shoe realm was driven by price requirements you know and how 
in that world, basically the job is, you know, price engineer something to the right level. And then at the same time, you know, engineer in a, a marketing story with selling points <laughs> that yeah, makes yeah, sense yeah. with the price engineered product so that you can then go out and market it, you know? And so, yeah, synthetic meshes that people like to say are breathable, but are they really that breathable <laughs> because it's still a plastic? Do you know what I mean? And so as I learned, so I learned a lot about athletic shoes and I learned a lot about real shoes. And in learning a lot about real shoes, I also really learned a lot more about materials and traditional shoe materials and why they used what they used at the beginning and why the patterns were the way they were at the beginning and why patterns changed over time. And so I really learned all about that. And so when I went to create Fight, I was like, well, let's make a product which is not driven by any of these cost requirements. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's see where it ends up and then let's charge appropriately for that product in the end in, and by virtue of doing that, we'll have a business which, one, I can enjoy spending my time on, and two, is also unique because people are not looking at things in that way, you know. So while it's a disadvantage because you're not trying to make something at a price point that you think you'll sell a lot of, it's an advantage because you're not doing what everyone else is doing. No, you know? absolutely. Um, I, guess, I guess you were really early in sort of re-evaluating um, you had that insight um, you know because there's a new conversation I think that's been having to be had in footwear where people are seeking um, more of an experience and knowledge about connecting with brands whether it's on a sort of sustainability basis or social mm-hmm. impact basis um, so th- it was always your primary message I guess as um, as a brand and you adapted it as you went along our primary message was always was our primary goal was always to make the best product we could, right? That was what what our aim was and, and still remains. But what I found was when I kept asking myself the questions like, okay, what would the best material be to use on this shoe? Right? And then the more natural the material, it just happens to be if you took everything else aside, the better. So for example, if we source really, really like whatever, really nice, high-end, beautiful leathers that luxury houses might use that are, you know, chrome-based materials. And then I compare that to a really good vegetable tanned material. It's like, okay, I have to say, which which one's better, right? So the chrome-based one maybe looks better in some ways. It has, well, it looks more perfect. Um, it has more consistency for production, but it's less breathable, right? And so every time I ask myself the question of, okay, well, what is the best way of doing this? I ended up getting pushed into the realm of more and more natural yeah. and more and more human involvement and more and more human involvement, right? So when we looked at the make, it was like, well, will this be a better product if it's uh, a Goodyear machine or a human? doing the hand-sewn Goodyear stitch. And it was the human, why, X, Y, and Z reasons, you know? And so every time it just so happened that I asked that question, what will make this product better? I ended up in the realm of humans and natural materials. And then by virtue of that fact, Mm. then I believe we ended up with, in a way, a a low impact model, you know, and a more less toxic model 
you know, because again, you know, it's it's really the easiest kind of, I guess, comparison is it's just the difference of like farm to table food, you know, yeah. farm to table food versus, versus, you know, whatever, normal restaurant chain or something like that. In the farm to table food, if there's less of it, you know, as soon as you start going up into volume, you know, there's there's other requirements. When you're staying small, when you're staying small, the impact is lower. When you're using natural material, the toxicity is lower. When you're using humans, the amount of electricity you use and power you use is lower. You know what I mean? Everything, it just happens to be that stuff you know, done by people that take time in natural materials ends up having a much lower impact on the planet, you know, than stuff that is, you know, basically mass production. So that's quite interesting. I guess, did would you say that um, function had, dr- had driven the aesthetic more than sort of the other way around in that case? Yeah. So deriving yes, to, yes. to where you function, are. Function, yeah, function of the wearer's experience. So, for example the one-piece upper. So all of our shoes are one-piece upper, right? Why Why are all of our shoes one-piece upper? And why did shoes stop becoming, you know, one-piece shoes? So the reason why we use it is because that way, it doesn't matter what type of foot, do you know what I mean, shape you have, everyone's feet shape are different. Yeah. If there's one a one-piece upper, the shoe breaks wherever your foot naturally breaks. It's not like getting forced to break along a seam or it can't break along a seam because there's a seam there. Do you know what I mean? So it naturally takes on kind of the shape of the person wearing it. Whereas, uh, and so the reason that's how shoes were made originally, because that's how they were the most, they were comfortable to some degree. They were very comfortable that way. Um, But then why did people start changing that? The reason they started to change that was because if you use a one piece upper, if the yield is not is not great. It's not as commercially viable because you can't get, you know, the pattern is so large yeah. that it uses up a lot of material, which costs money, which makes the product more expensive. So at some point, some smart people started saying, okay, well, let's not use that much material. Is there a way I could do this with less material? And by cutting the pattern, you know, the more bits, the more bits you cut the pattern into, the more better yield you can get out of the material the cheaper the product is to make, you know. It wasn't necessarily, and it's not necessarily made that way because it makes a better product. It was more the economics that pushed, you know, design, you could say, or construction into that direction. So, yeah, the one-piece upper is purely really chosen because of function. We want the shoe to be comfortable. We want the shoe to last. We want the shoe to look nicer as it gets older, not look like it's just getting old, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like with the one-piece upper, the shoe burnishes in places depending on how you wear it, and it's kind of along natural lines instead of, again, just like controlled by where seams are and things like that, you know? And so promotes definitely that function. So I guess and it then, sort of promotes natural movement, having less yeah, of exactly. pattern pieces. How, how, yeah, ergonomically how your foot exactly. your foot works yeah exactly and then and then the the hand sewn goodyear construction is also because of function because with with that with that construct and we do it by hand 
we can sew really, really, really close in, like under the bath, like into where the, the foot is. But if you use a Goodyear machine, the needles just don't get in that tight, for one, right? So there's like whatever it is, two or three millimeters from like the difference of where we can sew, like to get the shoe tight around the foot with um, hand versus with a Goodyear machine, it's probably like a couple of millimeters, two or three millimeters or two millimeters on either side. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it means, again, you're getting a more, a little bit more snug fit uh, at the bottom as holding your foot a little bit better. And then, um, again, when the shoe flexes and bends and, you know, it moves a little bit differently because instead of, you know, the thing which is really holding the product together and holding it to the sole, instead of that being, you know, a little wider than your foot, it's, it, it's, it's closer, you know? And so, again, that was the function because I said to myself, what is better, you know? And by better, always for me, better means a improved, depth to the product and user experience. So some people would say, well, the Goodyear machine is better because it's perfect, you know, mm -hmm. but we're not perfect in terms of how it looks. The, the each stitch is all very similar in length. Whereas if you look at our shoes, some stitches are a bit shorter, some are a little longer, some so it has that human element, you yeah. know, but um, we're not looking for perfect. Like the luxury houses are looking for perfect. We're not looking for perfect. We're looking for, you know, depth and integrity and function. We're not looking for perfection, yeah. you know. Well, that's really and um, so those so those things, the hand sewing mixed with the one piece upper, um, those things are all um, those things uh, were all decisions in a sense. Yeah, it's designed things made around function. But in the end, the product looks the way it does because of those things, you know. And it also, because we've stripped so much of the rest of the design back. And then I guess the other part, the other element is like the um, hand lasting, you know. There's really no shoes except for like maybe a bespoke shoe that you might buy, like a one-off pair, are really a hand lasting nowadays, you know. And so the is there a benefit in that? in terms of function, not necessarily, you know, um, because, you know, the, the, the difference, but there is, but it is, it keeps it in the human realm for us. And then it also then does, um, and it means we're not using like, the, you know, machinery, but then um, in the end, it also creates the aesthetic because, you know, like if you're trying to make, let's say you're making like, if you, if you look at any of our shoes, like the throat, like if you do a Chelsea boot or something like that, our throats yeah. just can't get that narrow, you know? <laughs> we can't get really close to the foot because that's just not something that a human lasting it. It's just not natural to something that can get done. Like you really need a machine to do that. So we have a lot of limitations in what we can do as well, you know, and we can only use materials that can be hand-lasted. We can't use, you know, materials that that don't work with hand lasting. So our system, stop, our system creates, you know, a product that looks and feels a certain way, like our product, but yeah. it also has a lot of limitations of things that we can't do, you know, I mean. Well, I guess, I mean, it's so interesting just hearing about your whole sort of um, manufacturing process and um, 
the hand lasting and all of that. I mean, it's you know, I was just just before this, I was um, reading a lead out court article on how uh, there's a lot of talk of things slowing down and people investing more time in um, skill and slowing down the making process. Um, the big idea, I yeah. guess, is that we'll, there'll be a grand trend with fewer pieces made, but more increased personal yeah. enrichment. And I mean, do you think there'll be a shift in mindset? amongst peers and with practices well, listen, I, I, guess I mean that's what this, that's what we've all that's what we've fights been about from the start you know less cares yeah. you know, more more human involvement higher level of skill um you know and i have seen a lot of stuff coming up now saying that you know we're going to head more in that direction yeah. um i think that um i think I think that at this, yeah, I guess it's both an economic thing and it's a you know social social thing, right? It's an economic thing in the sense of, I mean, everyone's going to have less money, right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> everyone's going to have less money when we That's come it. out of this. A lot of people don't have jobs, and yeah. how are they? When are they going to get jobs? So. That, that that's an impact and does having less money push you in a direction of um, buying something that's possibly more expensive? I'm not sure, but does having less money push you in the direction of buying things less often? <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. Yes. It definitely pushes you in that direction. I think that, you know, I think – I mean, the, in, I mean, in retrospect, some that's, people, yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry, ma'am. You go. I was going to say that, you know, I, I don't know if, like, right, right now, I don't know how much are we going to learn from this, right? You know, mm. like, how much are we going to really learn from this? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, I think it really depends on how quickly we get out of it, you know? And I think that, we're probably not going to get out of it that quickly. So, you know, in, in terms of, yes, life, we may be able to go back to work and, you know, in a few months or whatever it is, a couple of months, and then maybe by early next year, the restaurants will be back to functioning semi-normally. But I don't know, are we going to be wearing masks or mask-type things yeah. just for another two years? Maybe. Do you know what I mean? And And after that is that just going to be a little bit more part of the general clothing just because maybe it's a wise thing to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Probably. So I think, I, I mean, handshaking, is that done? Probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I do think, I do think it's going to be a very, like I, I think listen, the stock market will probably do something crazy in the short term and there'll be some high, you know, to jump up. But I do think the real recovery out of this is going to be long and slow. Yeah. So I think people will definitely be buying less. Um, and when you're buying less, you then maybe want to buy something that you kind of feel better about and has a bit more longevity. Probably, you know, probably. Yeah. And then I guess, and then the other, the other side is the social, is the social side is like, I mean, I, I know that from our side, um, where, you know, we've been at home about the same as you, like five or six weeks. And we've also been like, oh, well, you know what? 
when we do go back to like life after this, am I going to probably cook more at home than I was and eat a little less at restaurants? Probably. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, we've gotten used to it to some degree. Um, I don't, I, 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 when I look at myself and I'm at a certain stage, obviously in life, um, (laughs) you know, I'm in my mid forties and I spent like the last 20, yeah, the last 24 years, you know, traveling for work like crazy um, and and eating out at restaurants a lot and doing that is is that gonna be as much part of my life either of those things I don't think so you no. know I don't I don't but that's also because I'm at a certain point you know like is other thirty year olds just gonna go back to traveling a lot for work and this and that you know maybe a little bit less but probably not as less as I will you know so I think for me my life will stay a little bit slower. No, you I know, think um, I think I think you're right. I think consumerism on the whole will will change. Um, I don't know what it will look like, but I think with all of those things that you you sort of mentioned, I think um, the social interactions, um, um, how we sort of spend, you know, how we spend money, um, really thinking about um, considered purchase purchases and whether that that thing's purposeful in your life. Um, I think all of those uh, um, sort of have a validity and I think I, I just don't know what it's going to look like like you, you're saying really um, we'll have to we'll have to wait and yeah. see it all, all depends on you know how long this lasts I guess I we're think I think it's a big thing that like in a way I think and that's again more the, the social part like I think it's a it's a I, I do think like the sustainable thing I just can't say whether it's at a high price point or not, but I do think the sustainable thing and the considered way of living, that for sure is going to get bigger. I just, the only bit, and, and so I totally believe we'll head that direction. Yeah. I just don't know if it means people, I just don't know. I'm just not sure if people then, instead of buying you know, three pairs of Nike shoes by one pair of fight shoes, or if they just buy like one pair of Nike shoes that has a bit more of the design direction and integrity and vision in it. Do you know what I mean? So no. I don't know because of the economic side, you know what I mean? Cause I just think that the, the economic side is going to, is, is going to be really difficult for, for a while. So that's all I'm not sure about, but I do think it's interesting that, the fact that this all happened in 2020 and it's a new decade, I mean, it's yeah. such a crazy start to the decade. Yeah. It just has to be, it is going to be, to a certain degree, a new world. Do you know what I mean? Post this. Like, I I think, I think you know, what, what you and I kind of grew up in is, is very clearly kind of like, this is like the line in the sand. <laughs> Do you know, it's like pre-2020, post-2020. <laughs> no, I know. I guess that's how we refer to it. Um after 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 this is all done, isn't it? Pre and post. That's how we what? That's, that's how, how we, we ref, that's how we refer refer to it. It's it's like a um, yeah. It's, it's definitely a moment in time. I mean, I, I yeah, I, because in two thousand in two thousand, you know, in a way, people were kind of thinking the same thing. But for me, the first decade of the two thousand, the second decade, is more or less what the nineties was as well. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's a group of like 30 years where it wasn't that distinctly different. I mean, the only thing that changed really from the 90s until 
you know, the, the end of the last decade was that in the 90s, being popular wasn't kind of cool. You know what I mean? And then at the end of the at the end of the last decade, oh, the, the the more people who knew you and the more popular you were, kind of became cool. You know what I mean? That's the only thing that really changed. I think. I mean, I've got to ask this because it's absolutely amazing, um, and I think that the whole sort of social impact and and your outlook—you've been way ahead of the curve. Um, on, on above many brands in terms of doing this. Um, what led you to offer your um, extensive care and repair service for the brand? And do you, do you think oh. more brands should embrace this sort of slow fashion and upcycling practices? Definitely of a sort of a younger generation, you're seeing lots of that sort of thinking coming through with, you know, sort of DIY yeah, aesthetics think, and, and repairing old yeah, shoes. Yeah, I listen, I... I think a hundred percent that is like not 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 necessarily our care and repair, but the the upcycling, yeah. like the vintage and the upcycling, and the, I mean I think that's that's a, a big part of the future. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I really like it. I think it's, it's really it's creative. Amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's creative. It's relevant, and it's and it's new at least. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's. I, I really like I really like that that part of fashion and that part of the world and and I really appreciate it you know um, so I do think that's going to continue to grow I think vintage you know is going to get stronger do you know what I mean it's yeah. just on its own you know but but I do think that upcycling will continue to grow and in terms of the repairs I mean it's just when when I started with the tradition that's what happens with traditional shoes right and that's what happens with Goodyear made shoes that easily resolvable and so it was a, something that in a way I don't want to say like we kind of picked up for free but it wasn't necessarily by design in the beginning right. it was more again we were trying to make the best product and then when we were making all these decisions I was like oh wow and if you've made it that way we can easily resole the shoes. We can easily repair the shoes. We can easily clean and polish. You know what I mean? It just naturally led into that world. And so it's something right. we've been doing in our, in our retail stores, you know, for 10 years. We've been doing in our retail stores. And then just over the last, we've been meaning to get to it. And then just over the last 18 months, we were like, oh, listen, I think we need to explain more, this, this more to people, you know, because... You know, we still, our shoes are not cheap. They're expensive and especially expensive for a brand that's not like a famous luxury house and it mm. doesn't have flashy logos on it. Yeah. So we, it's, you know, part of explaining to the customer, yeah, sure, this is an investment. We understand that. Um, but you have to think about it this way. You're going to pay a lot for one pair of shoes now that can be repaired, resold, repolished, and can be worn for 20 years, you uh, know? That's amazing. Versus that's amazing. I mean, I was going to ask you, how did you make that, how do you make that sort of service commercial? But I guess it's like returning customers and, you know, that continues exactly. sort of the brand values that you guys hold. And um, no, that's, that's, exactly, that's fantastic. Exactly. Um, yeah, just... and it deepens, it deepens the relationship we have, you know, with, with our customers. They, they bring in the shoes, do you know what I mean? They yeah, love the shoes, they're there. And, 
it's it 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 you know it, it, to a certain degree it's kind of like just I mean I guess it's not that not personal though but you know it's just like a car you buy something of good quality and if you have a nice car you got to take it in for a service <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> No, no. I mean, it's yeah. It's definitely a brand with empathy and fellowship, and it's it's like an almost like a community, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And we values. definitely have that where we where we have the stores. You know, the challenge is is doing it where we don't have the stores. Yeah. Um, but where we have the stores, where it's definitely you know it's very much a, a community based thing, and and we get to know the customers quite well. Okay. So I just want to round off with the last question, really. Um, Viveni, what would your call to action be for um, all designers, young designers, um, and thinkers in a in a generate in generating design? Um, how are they able to be more uh, sort of social and sustainable for the future? What what sort of um, I advice think, would I you think, give? You know, I, yeah. I mean, I think my advice would be you know, to continue to like, continue to think outside of the box, um, continue to like believe in, you know, whatever it was that took you into design originally. Um, because, you know, designers are creative people (laughs) and, um, that's what they are. And creative people usually, usually, um, have a vision or, or empathy or can see things, you know, prior to commercial people, you know? And I, so I would say, you know, like I would say really embrace that, you know, because I think today it's more important than ever. And I think if anything, it's also the, not only is it more important than ever, but also, like you said, it's, it's also the trend. And I would say, don't try not to let the, um, the, you know, the, the the bigger corporates or those things kind of get you down and, and dictate to you because they don't really know really what's going to happen. They're more trying to like hold the status quo in place. Um, they, and they have different, they have different, different, naturally different goals and desires, right? They're just looking, they're generally just looking to make more money. You know, there's nothing once companies get to a certain size, there's, Usually, except for, you know, the very few, I mean, you have a Patagonia and stuff like that, but, you know, there's, they've got a very different focus to you and it's not necessarily the focus that the world needs now and it's not necessarily the forward trends. I think like embrace your, embrace your own ideas, your own creativity and your own vision and whether you do that on your own or whether you bring that and work with that on someone else, even if they be companies. I think yeah. believe in that because that that's the direction we're going. You know what I mean? That's the direction that we're going and that that's that's what's that's what's needed. And I think today, while in a lot of ways Sorry, it's tough to you know, to, we live in a, such a tricky world nowadays, while today it's like on the one hand it's really tough to get ahead. As as a, a younger person or or a creative person, you've, there's also never been more opportunity for um, individuals to you know create something and spread that word about it and let people know it's never been easier. Yeah, I mean it's um, well, I I really sort of believe in the bit about being true to yourself and um, um, 
trust your instincts really uh, with design. Um, do you think? Um, I mean, especially like you said, the the upcycled stuff and that. I mean, you know, that's such a pure example of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, no no, no company was going to come up with that. That had to come from a young kid being creative at design school, being like, fuck it, I can't do that, so I'll do that, you know? Yeah. Well, this whole DIY sort of aesthetic's quite, um, it's a bit punk in its, in its um, sort of approach, yeah. I guess. People are just like, just doing it, making shoes that they want to see. Um yeah. designed and that's that's quite um it's quite innovative and 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 um i don't know quite encouraging isn't it um there's all little communities yeah. that sort of do that okay man um that was really really good that was really really great <clears throat> well, insight into your yeah, brand thanks for it. I, I i mean i enjoy talking about this stuff so i don't mind and think I, I liked I liked your Instagram. I thought it looked good. I liked like your curation of images and style. Thanks, so man. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Why not? <laughs> no, no, thanks. I, re I really appreciate that. I, I'm, I mean, I like the, the images and your sort of brand communication that you pull together is 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 amazing. It's like really, really amazing. Really clean. Really simplistic. You can just sort of. The shoes speak for themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's um, yeah. That's what we tried not to get in the way too much. You know, it, it's it's really it's really really cool. And I actually had a pair of Royal Elastics in in the in the nineties. Oh nice. I don't know what they I don't know what they were called. They were like blue and with like a yellow cadmium sort of like accent or something to them. I remember. But, uh, <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> that's, nice. That's uncanny. Good. No, well, listen. If, yeah. Thanks. Listen. Stay in touch and. I don't know, hopefully things go well for you as it evolves out of this. <laughs> Same for you, man. I'm I'm sure you I'm sure you will. Like it's you know I think people have just gotta have um a sort of better practice about how they go around doing things and, and like you said, you know, you don't know whether it'll sort of evolve into something in a sort of a, a, a luxury a luxury um space or whatever, but um the sentiments and everything that you have really resonate with me. So I, I, I think it's a great brand. All right, great. Well, stay in touch. Have a good afternoon. Well, good, well good night, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You have, right, a good after you have a good afternoon. Stay safe. All right. See Thank ya. you. Bye. Cheers. Bye.